on a warm summer's evening on a train bound for nowhere i met up with a gambler we were both too tired to sleep so we took turns of staring out the window at the darkness till boredom overtook us and he began to speak he said son i've made a life out of reading people's faces and knowing what the cards were by the way they held their eyes so if you don't good morning and welcome to another episode of standing outside the fire i'm your host matt wood and i'm coming to you from a little spot here in beautiful cheyenne wyoming we have very difficult times right now in our country in the world in fact i'm faced with a, a very significant pandemic and i know that People sit on all different sides of the issue. The fact is that uh, it is significant. It will change our world in ways that we don't even understand. But there's so much talk about that right now that um, I think that's about all I'm going to say. Other than I hope you all are safe and healthy. Islands in the stream, that is what we of things have changed, I guess. Maybe not lots, but we've had some recent updates in the standing outside the fire realm. Uh, The first thing I have to say is I listened to episode 7 again, and I had no idea, because I was in a little bit of a hurry to publish it, uh, because I was excited about getting back in the mix of it, to be honest with you, I did not realize that I said the word change or changes clearly more than this should have. I think it was something like 137 times in 20 minutes, which is entirely too much. So um, I could go back and edit it, but I'm just going to chalk it up to a little bit of humor and some still naive or I don't know. Anyway, I'm still new at this. Uh, I did say change 15,000 times. That's the second time I've said it in this episode. So hopefully it doesn't come up again but it likely will, so you can laugh and have a little fun at my expense, as usual, which is fine. Uh, That's part of why we're here. Hopefully we can keep the the laughter rolling. The other thing I wanted to let you know is that I'm excited to announce that the website is now up and running. Standing Outside the Fire, PC for podcast.com, and uh, check it out. There's a blog on there, so I will probably be utilizing that. There are a way to make comments on that. Um, I'm trying to find the best way to communicate with you all. Uh, Some of you have fabulous ideas about episodes or topics for episodes. In fact, one of the the topics I'll be using tonight or this morning or whatever time it is, is from a discussion I had uh, on Facebook. And Facebook is limited to a certain extent. Some people love it. Some people hate it. I think it's a necessary evil sometimes, but... It is something I like to utilize. We'll try the website out. Check it out. Let me know what you think. As I said, there are ways to make comments on the the blog posts. If any of you have any experience with any of this, been checking out more podcasts of late and trying to figure out the best way to widen the listenership without going crazy, this is, I do have a full-time job. I'm a full-time dad. I'm a full-time husband. This is a hobby, maybe, or an important piece of me just getting 
my thoughts out in a public format, I guess, hopefully to spur some thoughts or goals or I almost said the word change. Um, <laughs> anyway, I, I really do enjoy the back and forth. Me sitting here in front of a computer uh, with a microphone in my face is, is just one component of it, but the interaction with you all is really a valuable piece to me. So anyway, check out the website. Let me know what you think. Communication is great. That leads me into our topic for this episode. One of our listeners made mention of some leadership issues that I believe he is currently faced with. And they are leadership issues that I have been faced with. And, you know, as I move through with this podcast and move along and try and figure out where the best place to, to fit, what, what, what shelf to put the, the podcast on, you know, I started it out as a first responder focus. And what I found is that I would like to branch out to other people who are not first responders because I think there's value in that. But there's so much that the first responders deal with that the average human being does as well, just on a different scale, on a different level, in a different realm. And the leadership idea is one that everybody deals with in some facet or another. And that's something that I'd like to take a look at today. Whoa, freedom's just another word for nothing left to lose. Nothing ain't worth nothing but it's free. Feeling good was easy, Lord, when Bobby sang the blues. Feeling good was good enough for me, Bobby McGee. If you'll remember in episode five, adding fuel to the fire, we talked about supervisors and leaders and subordinates and how all that worked. So I don't want to repeat that. Unfortunately, there's so much we can say about leadership and supervisors and so forth, but. The topic that was brought up was specifically about apathetic leadership. Leaders who don't appear to care for their employees. Leaders who don't understand what their employees are going through. Don't seem to be concerned about anything but profit or public image or something that really doesn't take into account the employees' needs or desires, you know, supporting employees from that standpoint. Now, I know I run the risk when I start talking about apathetic leadership of people going down the roads of politics. And I will tell you right now, I know where I stand politically. It's not where many of you think. I don't think any of you would really be able to figure out where I sit exactly. And that's not a challenge. It's just a statement of fact. I'm all over the board, is my point. Talking about apathetic leadership, suddenly people are like, oh, he's talking about the president, and and I'm not. This is about my experiences with leaders in my world. And so please don't take it for anything more than that. I mean, if you really have to make it political in your own brain, whatever. I don't want to be in your brain anyway. So you can do that however you see fit. But anyway, this is another area where I will be talking about the fire service. And because that's what I've experienced. Now, I've, of course, I've worked hundreds of other jobs. But hopefully um, many of you who are not in emergency services or who are not a first responder can find some some tidbits in here. You know, and I said I wasn't going to do it, but I'm going to do it anyway. Um, I just wanted to extend my 
deepest gratitude to the men and women who are working in emergency services and especially in the hospitals right now. It's a very difficult time. They are doing the best they can with what they have. They're not being given what they need, um, which I think is an absolute abomination. And if you want to call that a political statement, go ahead. I'll own that all day long. If you're out there uh, listening and uh, still working, thank you um, from the, the bottom of my heart. leaders become apathetic? And I'll focus for a minute on the the fire service because that's what I'm familiar with. The majority, not all, but the majority of high-ranking fire folks, battalion chiefs, assistant chiefs, chiefs, what I call the bugle babes. Actually, I have another phrase for it, but we'll leave that alone. Where do they come from? Where do they get the skills to get promoted to that level? And in my experience, The majority of them have come from the front lines. They've been a firefighter. They've been a lieutenant. They've been uh, a captain. You work your way up. Now, there are some cases, and don't get me wrong, we've all seen this. There are some cases where people jump ranks and they suddenly become, you know, a, a battalion chief out of nowhere. Heck, I became a lieutenant at one of the fire districts I worked for at the age of 22. Um... (laughs) 23 maybe, but way too young in my opinion. Uh, And I made mistakes because of it, because I didn't have the life experience. Now that's true for me. It's not necessarily true for everybody. But the point is that there are people who jump ranks either because they are capable and knowledgeable and have the experience to do so. But a lot of times that's not the case. There is some good old boy network that goes on in the fire service. And I would imagine the same is true in EMS and police and dispatch. Heck, it's true everywhere. I think... The challenge is to identify those people, and those people who are jumping rank are found out pretty quickly. But let's not focus on those, because that's, a, that's a, a different animal. Let's talk about the ones who do work their way up to some extent. How is it that they can work their way up from the boots on the ground, you know, probationary, whatever, and at some point lose focus on what's important, and suddenly become a monster of politics and public image and so many other things that detract from taking care of their people. I met a loss, honestly, because how did they get where they got? People, this is the irony, people who work their way up were supported by good leaders all along the way. Otherwise, they wouldn't have gotten to the spots where they are now. And so they turn around and close the door on that. You know, personally, I feel an immense responsibility to share the knowledge that I have been given. And that's how I view it. I didn't earn it necessarily. In some cases, I did. But that's why I have a hard time not being involved in the fire service, is because So many people put so much time and energy into me, and I owe it to them. I owe it to them to pass that information on. And that's my viewpoint. But I don't understand how you can get to a chief's position and suddenly throw your firefighters to the wolves and not go to bat for them. For example, 
there is an agency that I'm familiar with that has equipment and specifically stations that are literally becoming unsafe to live in. And there doesn't seem to be a lot of interest or pressure or motivation from the leadership of the fire department, the leadership of the city in which this is occurring, to do a whole lot about it. It doesn't seem to be a priority to them. Yet men and women are going to this facility day in and day out, living there, and expected to respond at the drop of a hat to the community's needs. I think that's a, an abomination, frankly. And, and presumably the chief has been inside the station and looked at it and understands what the, the firefighters are up against. But guess what? He can go back to his cushy office and his cushy chair in the brand new building that was built for the emergency services folks. Now, I know that there are things I don't understand, but I guess if I were in those spots and I don't... <laughs> I don't think I'm enough of a political monster to ever go down those roads of having more than a bugle or two. And maybe those days are over too, but I think I would be pounding the table. I think I would be pounding the table saying, look, mayor, look, city council, this is home for these men and women for 10 shifts a month, for 480 hours a month. This is their home and it's trash. And it's not for lack of trying to upkeep maintain the facility themselves but it's a city-owned facility i don't know that's that's one example there's so <laughs> there's so many more how about this one you have a firefighter who gets injured on the job legitimately injured on the job and in this case it was a, a guy i was working with we were out cutting trees doing mitigation and uh he blew out his knee. Now you have to remember, at this point in time, we were all seasonal employees, which makes a difference in the, the city's eyes because we rank lower than most part-time employees and full-time employees. We don't have benefits and we're paid hourly, but we loved what we did and they took advantage of that. So anyway, we're out cutting trees. This guy goes to walk over a, a log, blows out his knee. So he calls on the radio, we go pick him up, get him to the emergency room and he's going to be out, going to be out for the rest of the season. Now, the question was, with his knee, he could go into the offices of the, the fire department and do paperwork, do any any sort of computer work that, that a whole bunch of people do on a daily basis in the organization. And so they could feed him some what's referred to as bitch work and allow him to continue pulling a paycheck. Well, the problem is that that agency didn't have a light duty policy. Now, this is Colorado, relatively progressive state. This is 19, no, early 2000s. So we're not talking, you know, 1975 here. Early 2000s in Colorado, and you have a fire department that doesn't have a light duty policy. Maybe I'm wrong, but that seems insane. Guys and gals are bound to get hurt on the job. Why would you not have a light duty policy? And so that was brought to their attention, and they said, well, you know, there's not much not much we can do right now. That takes a long, you know, that's a long process to develop a light-duty policy. Well, yeah, no kidding. It's something you should have done a long time ago. My firefighter was out of a job. We were able to find him something to pass the time, get some income. The crew helped him out, threw some money his way. I guess I shouldn't say threw some money. We made sure that he did not go without because at that point we were all living paycheck to paycheck. The way we got our money was going out on fire assignments. He didn't have that opportunity that season, so we all made a decision that any role that, that we went on, any fire assignment we went on, we were gonna donate 10% of our 
earnings to him um, above and beyond what we were already doing to make sure he had food and uh, could pay his rent and all of that. While 10% doesn't seem like a lot, that was a busy fire season and, and uh, he did not go without. In fact, he went and bought the new PlayStation with our money, which we were going to be angry at and then realized he had nothing to do. So as long as we could borrow it whenever we wanted, I think it was PlayStation. I don't know. It was one of those games, but it seems as though I've gotten off on a tangent. Take it back. Take it back. Oh, no, you can't say that. Oh, my friend, I Let's get back to the idea that the leaders of that organization, and, and I don't know who it was, I don't know if it was the city, I'm not sure if it was the, the fire department, but it, it would seem to me that as a chief officer, when you look at policies and procedures, which is something you should do annually, I believe, adjust them. And I mean, who doesn't have a policy about firefighters getting injured? That almost seems like, uh, I don't know, I, it, it, it baffles me. It baffles me. I can't even come up with a, a reasonable example or a reasonable comparison. You know, it's like living in the urban interface, in the, the woods, in the inner mountain west, and not thinking, not even thinking for a minute that you might have to face wildfire. It's like living on the coast of Florida and not having some sense of what should I do if a, a hurricane is coming. I think it's that obvious. Those might be overstated, but I don't think so. I mean, what job doesn't have light duty policy? People are bound to get injured, especially in physical, dangerous jobs. Most police departments have policies. I hope all of them do. Right? You're running down, chasing down a, a suspect, or somebody throws a punch. Or, but those are things that leaders should be looking at. And I think that an apathetic leader doesn't want to take the time or the energy to do that. But that's critically important to taking care of your people. And I believe that outside of all the politics, all the budget constraints, all of the public image and public perception issues, if you are a leader in a public safety organization. Let me rephrase. If you are a leader in any organization, you have a responsibility to take care of your people. You have an awesome, in the truest sense of the word, responsibility to take care of your people. Now, I'm not saying coddle them. I'm not saying give them raises every time they want raises. I'm just saying take care of them. Make sure that they're okay. And I, I, I know I said that I wasn't going to go down these roads right now, but I have to. Look, there are organizations and companies right now that are paying their people to not work. Let me give you an example. The owners of the Colorado Avalanche and the Denver Nuggets and a bunch of other sports teams, but the Avalanche is the most important, obviously. They are paying their hourly people as if the games that were canceled are still going on. So those individuals who are ticket takers, concessionaires, uh, ushers, people who clean up the stadiums, they're still getting paid as they would if the games had continued. That's taking care of your people. And I know right now is, you know, desperate times call for desperate measures, but there are companies who are stepping up. There are supermarket companies that are giving people $2 an hour raises 
out of the blue for nothing for working their asses off and putting the toilet paper back on the shelf. That's taking care of your people. There are companies, there are restaurants that are drumming up as much support as they can so that they can continue to get orders so they can use their wait staff as delivery people so they continue to have income coming in. Because a lot of times, let's look at the people who are still working, you guys, or who are not able to work. They are ones who are living paycheck to paycheck. And what happens when you don't get that next paycheck? You might not eat. Right? And I'm not talking socialism. I'm not, again, not a politics thing. But there's some really, really cool stories coming out about leaders stepping up and taking care of their people because they know that this is going to cause people to struggle. And there are some amazing stories, and I haven't heard all of them. There are also some really horrible stories, too, about people not being taken care of. Why can't hospitals get the supplies they need to give their nurses and docs the PPE they need to take care of people with COVID? That's an abomination. So anyway, the idea that our leaders, our supervisors, need to be taking care of us, what does that look like? To circle back around, how do you get to that point where 10 years or 15 years ago, you were one of those people who needed to be taken care of by your supervisors because that's what they were supposed to do? How 10 or 15 years later do you lose that focus? lose the importance of making sure that your people have the right equipment they need, have operable, safe equipment, uh, a good facility to work in, the right tools. How do you lose focus? And I've never been in that spot. I don't know that I have the political wherewithal to be able to deal with that. But here's what I think. I think the pressures of having lots of bugles or lots of bars becomes too much for some people. I don't think that's something that you ever know until you get there. Because now you're faced with budgets and now you still, you you have to answer to everyone. You have to answer to the public because that's who you serve. You have to answer to your board of directors, your mayor, your head of public safety, so you have to answer to a higher power in that sense of, of at some level. And you have to answer to all the people below you. You don't have to answer to them directly. You do owe them something. And I think some people aren't cut out to handle that pressure. I think some people aren't mature enough to handle that pressure. I think even though you were a great line firefighter, lieutenant, captain, battalion chief, that, that doesn't mean you can handle the pressure of all of that. The politics are insane, I can only imagine. I've only heard bits and pieces, and that's from the, the chief officers that I've talked to. Grandpa was a carpenter, built houses, stores, and banks. Chain smoked chemicals, cigarettes, and hammered nails and planks. He would level on the level, he shaved even every door. And voted for Eisenhower, called Lincoln one war. Is politics an excuse? Are budgetary constraints an excuse? I can't think they are. Because here's the reality. That's the job. When you reach a chief officer level, that's part of the job. It starts at battalion chief, and then division chief, and then assistant and actual chiefs. Like that's, that's part of your job. You're no longer a firefighter. 
honestly, you know, and I have friends who are chiefs, and I don't mean that in a negative way. Depending on where you are, that's not necessarily the case. I have a friend who's a, a fire chief in a smaller community, and he still has to be boots on the ground during larger incidents, or any incident for that matter, if that's what it takes. But he still has to deal with the politics and the budgets and personnel issues and all of that, wearing multiple hats there. You think about a chief of a larger department, he has people who can do that stuff for him. He doesn't have to worry about being on calls, and he's only on the biggest calls. Or think about even a mid-sized department. The chief doesn't have to be the one on the truck the majority of the time. You know, she can sit and focus on the tasks at hand, dealing with the budgets and the politics and ordering equipment and all of that, meetings. You know, she's not the one pulling the hose. She's not the one doing CPR. She's not the one putting on the hazmat suit. And there are a lot of chiefs, don't get me wrong, there are a lot of chiefs out there who do all of those things all at once. And and it's a challenging job. I can't even imagine. I've never been in that position. I don't know that I would want to. But the point is that at the end of the day, what comes first? People or politics? That's what I would ask. What comes first? Are you going to take care of your people? Or are you going to focus more on the budgetary constraints? That's really what it comes down to. And I have worked for organizations where the politics and the budgets and appeasing the board members or the mayor or the city council comes first. And that is wrong. That's wrong, and I will fight tooth and nail. I will argue with anybody who says that those things are more important than your people. Bullshit. That's not true. Your people are the most important asset that you have, and that's true in any organization. I don't care what it is. You could be making widgets. The point is that your people who are making the widgets, the one on the floor, on the assembly line, those are the important people because if you don't have them, you don't have anything. Now, the one thing I will say is that there are organizations out there, there are unions out there, and I realize this is getting political, but I'm going to give you my opinion because this is my podcast. There are unions who fight for more than they deserve. There are firefighter groups across the country who keep asking for more and more and more. More pay, more sick leave, more personal leave, more vacation, more insurance, more and more and more and more. I don't think that's right either, right? We should be paid, if we are a a career department, we should be paid what we're worth. But we should also have to deal with the situation that the municipality or the district or the county is in. We should have to follow the same rules as the other employees in the city to an extent, right? First responders are a little bit different (laughs) in more ways than one. But if we keep asking for more and more and more and more, We're taking away from the sanitation folks. We're taking away from the other individuals in that city, the water department, the road department, you know, all of the different entities. So we have to be fair about it, right? We can't win while other people lose. That's not okay. I know that's a can of worms. I know some of you won't agree with me on that. That's fine. But we have to be reasonable. We should get paid what we're worth. We should be taken care of. Our facilities should be as good, if not better, than some of the other ones because we live in them. Unlike anybody else, even the cops, they can have fancy cars, 
because they live in those for 8 or 12, 10 or 12 hour shifts. But the facilities better be top notch because we live in them. And that's a different story than anybody else. You know, the sanitation workers, they don't live in a city facility. They park their trucks there, their break room is there, but they don't live there. And that's a big difference. And I'll give you that all day long. But our leaders need to be taking care of us. Plain and simple, there's no two ways around that. And those that have worked their way up have been through all that. How, how in the hell can you get to high level president, CEO, chief officer, sit in your cushy chair that you paid $600 for while things are falling apart on the floor and that other people are asking for an item that costs $50 and you say no to because you don't have the money yet you're sitting in a $600 chair. Tell me where the equity in that is. How do you how do you go to sleep at night? How are you okay with that? How do you go out and buy a chief's truck, deck it all out with radios and lights and sirens, and the freaking engine is falling apart. Does your chief's truck put out fires? I don't think so. You know, these are things that line firefighters see all of the time. And then the politics. My God, the politics. Oh, we can't do that because the, the public might not think that that's right. You know, don't, don't go to the grocery store because the public doesn't like that. How about doing a little public education? Explaining why we're doing what we're doing. Oh, you know, the public just sees you guys driving around all the time. You're wasting fuel. No, we're out there in the public connecting with them. I hate to say it, but they pay our salaries. I hate using that flag, but that's true. So what's wrong with being out there and making connections with them? Having them see us. I would rather see my fire department out and about at stores. I'll pay, I will pay their fuel to do that personally so that they can be out in the community meeting the people that they serve. What's wrong with that? Dollar for dollar, that fuel cost is some of the best money spent when it comes to community relations and public education. I don't know why you wouldn't want that. So back to apathetic leadership. Where do we go? What do we do? We've all run into leaders who don't take care of their people. All these things that I've said are ideals. Yes, that's what we want from our leaders, but that's not always what we get. So what do we do? What can we do to help remedy the situation? Well, there are a couple of things, at least from my standpoint. One is you can sit back and you can wait for somebody else, somebody in power, somebody who supervises this high-ranking individual, whether it be a chief or a CEO or uh, a mayor or a leader. You can sit back and wait. Wait for somebody above them to finally realize that you and some of your coworkers are right and get rid of them. And then life is good. But how often does that happen? How quickly does that happen? Right? The reality is that you're going to be faced with that situation for X number of months, years, maybe even more. So what do you do? Well, you can sit back and wait. That's fine. Uh, in some situations, you can gather your group of cohorts up and go for a vote of no confidence. You see that from time to time 
in fire departments and police departments. And what effect does that have? Well, that increases animosity between the troops, the boots on the ground, and the leadership. And sometimes that makes things even worse. So certainly a gamble. And the other option is less popular. It's more difficult. The results are not instantaneous. But in my case, I have worked for several organizations where I didn't agree with the leadership. I felt as though they were handling things incorrectly. I felt marginalized. I felt subservient to other members of that organization because of pay status. I was one time told that I could not wear the patch of the fire department because the union didn't like it, even though we were full-fledged members. And it wasn't just me. It was my whole division. It was, well, in fact, the administrative professionals who worked for that fire department were told they couldn't wear their job shirts with the patch, with the fire department's patch on it either, because the union didn't like it. They weren't full-fledged firefighters. Okay, we can see where that one went. And I'm not union bashing. I, there are organizations, in fact, that same organization that I speak of uh, has changed since the time I was there. And the union has done some really great things. So I'm not anti-union, don't get me wrong. They're goods and bads, just like everything else. But the apathy in leadership can be battled, in my opinion, one particular way. You walk in the door, and you make the change yourself. I'm sorry, what did you just say, Matt? You want me to walk in the door, and as a frontline firefighter, a rookie firefighter, no bugles, no authority, no responsibility, or you want me to walk in as a, a junior attorney, make change? You want me to walk in to my job at McDonald's as a fry cook and make change within that organization? Yeah. I do. That's exactly what I'm saying. Because we all have the power to waltz into wherever it is that we work. I'm not saying unicorns farting rainbows and teddy bears and, you know, happy clouds. You don't have to walk in there with a smile on your face every single day. But you can lead up. And I've talked about that before. I believe it was last episode. You can lead up. You can walk in and you can tell your coworkers and your friends who work there, look, man, it doesn't matter what so-and-so says. We're going to run this the way we want to. And you have to follow the rules, and you have to follow policy and procedure. But that's fine. You can do that. And then you can change the culture from within. You can make it clear that the apathy that exists above you, wherever it starts and wherever it stops, is unacceptable, is not going to be tolerated. And you do that by following the rules by following policy and procedure to a T so that if it comes back on you, you can just point to the rules and regulations. Hey, I'm following the rules, chief. You were the one who wrote them. If you don't like them, you're going to change them. And in fact, that's happened recently in an, in an organization that I'm familiar with. <laughs> it's funny how when people start losing control, they do everything possible. And this is true of apathetic leadership. When they don't like the results of the rules in place, they change the rules. And I've seen that time and time and time again. They change the rules in the middle of the game. If any of you are familiar with Calvin and Hobbes, which I will go ahead and tip my hand, I absolutely love Calvin and Hobbes. I think it's brilliant. Bill Watterson 
is an amazing author and artist. But if those of you who are familiar will remember Calvin Ball, and Calvin and Hobbes are out playing, they're playing with the ball, they're running around the bases, and they're making the rules up as they go. And it's awesome for a six-year-old and his imaginary tiger friend but it's not okay in the real world. And there are fire chiefs, there are bosses, there are CEOs, there are leaders all over the place who are playing Calvin Ball because it suits them. It suits their political desires. It suits their ego. It suits whatever it is that they want to get out of the situation, which typically in those individuals is not taking care of their people first and foremost. They only take care of their people when it's convenient for them or when it makes some political gain for them. And that's an abomination. It really is. So you walk in and you lead up and you create a culture that you want and that your coworkers want and that your supervisor has no control over. They can't control how you approach your work. They can't control how you feel. They can't control how you interact with your, your coworkers. I mean, to an extent they can. But at some level, they can't have control of everything. And I will tell you what, one of the best things that I have ever seen in these situations with an apathetic leader who is frustrated, annoyed, disenfranchised, pissed off, the best thing you can do as a subordinate is to create a culture when that individual walks in the door, your group of coworkers is laughing, having fun, and enjoying the job despite the fact that your supervisor is trying everything to break that down, increase infighting, have you at each other's throats. When that doesn't work, that is infuriating to those individuals. And that's not the goal. The goal is not to infuriate your supervisors because you know that's going to come back on you. But there's no way that they can come back and tell you what you're doing is wrong when you're enjoying your work, you're doing it well, you're having fun, and you're making a difference. So I think that's where we'll leave it for today. Um, Please, in today's day and age, do everything you can to stay healthy, be smart, make good choices, do everything in your power to keep your friends and family safe, which sometimes means staying away from them, which I realize is difficult, but it might be the best thing. Thank you, thank you, thank you to all of the first responders out there who are on the job. Fire, police, EMS, dispatchers, nurses, doctors, CNAs, everybody who's working right now to help keep us safe. You know, that goes for the the people at the grocery stores who are still stocking and exposing themselves to potentials and people who are working at restaurants and delivering food. There's so many people out there who are still working, trying to keep this country going. Thank you. Thank you for your your sacrifices, each and every one of you. And my heartfelt, sincere condolences to those who have lost people from this virus. I know I said I wasn't going to speak about it, but you know there are people who are sick, who are in critical condition, who are dying. Of late, uh, Joe Diffie just passed away, great '90s country star. Right now, John Prine is in critical condition, a, a singer-songwriter. This doesn't just affect the average individual and the fact that famous musicians other famous figures are dying isn't any more important than the average people like you and me who are getting this uh, virus and and becoming very sick and and dying anyway you guys just please be safe Uh, i would love to have you back to listen to the next episode more importantly I, i want you to be healthy so 
take care of you and yours. Uh, I look forward to seeing you on the next time. Thank you so much for sharing your time with me, and be well. Believe